following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Good morning. February is family month here at Calvary, and so beginning last week and flowing into March, we'll have uh, sermons dealing with family-related topics. In fact, our special speakers over the uh, beginning next week on Sunday night, and then uh, Pastor Manigo, he's going to be speaking on a special topic related to family. Last week, we began talking about marriage, and uh, one of the things that we've kind of come to understand from the scripture is that God is in favor of durable marriages, marriages that, that are built to last. And, and one of the things we've also come to know is that when, well, when marriages don't last, it's, it's hard on a lot of people. And so one of the beautiful things is that the scriptures give us counsel for how to avoid getting into difficult situations. And when we get into difficult situations in our marriage, we find our way out of it. And so as we go through our time last week and then this week, we're, one of the things I want to say is this. Whenever I preach, I know that I'm, I don't want to say stepping on toes, but I know some things are getting closer to home than others. And so I would simply say this, the response always, whether it's this sermon, some other topic, when you realize that you've kind of missed, missed the, the target, dropped the ball, the right response is always to recognize that you've missed the target, that you have sinned, and then correct the course. I want to begin, even before I get started, by sharing a time that, to be honest with you, I messed up as a husband. And it was early on in our marriage, and I didn't ask Chrissy for permission, but I'm pretty sure I've shared it before. So, um, actually, Jeannie reminded me about it when she said she cried in the shower. Early on in our marriage, when we first got married, I was a full-time seminary student. I also had a full-time job and a part-time job. And, and so I did not know this, but Chrissy was very lonely and feeling like, this is not what I signed up for. And she didn't let me know she would cry in the shower. And so eventually she did let me know, hey, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see you a little more frequently. And I would like to have a little bit more than what's left over after school and work and church has gotten a hold of you. Now, that's my nice way of saying it, but she said she was obviously brokenhearted. And I, I said, okay, we'll fix this. I couldn't fix it immediately, but I promised to her that I would fix it. And so some changes had to be made. I wasn't doing the right things as a husband because my wife was being neglected. And as I go through sermons like this and prepare for this, I recognize areas where I have missed the mark. And so it's actually helpful for me as a pastor. So men, yeah, I'm coming at you guys this week. I, came, I spoke to the ladies, and the ladies were excited that this week the men are going to learn about being a wise husband. And one of the things that we come to understand from the Scriptures and from life is that men and women are different. Therefore, couples are wise to remember that men and women are different. So men, if we are wise and want marriages that are built to last, we must choose to show love to our wives in a way that they can understand. Sisters, if you are wise and want marriages that are built to last, you must choose 
to show respect to her husband in a way that he can understand. By the wise planning of our Creator, men and women are different. These differences play out in our relationship with each other, not only in marriage, but I would tell you I've experienced that it's different in, in functioning as a pastor. I would tell you that working out, yes, I've not always worked in the church. Men or women in, are different at work also, whether we want to accept this or not. Men see life through blue lenses and hear through blue hearing aids. And women see life through pink lenses and hear through pink lenses. You may remember a few years ago I said the same thing and I put on these giant pink glasses. So what do I mean when I say men and women see things differently? Men see through pink and hear through pink. I'm sorry, blue. And women hear through pink and see through, blue, through pink. What do I mean? See, I'm struggling to say. I'm just going to move on. Let me give you an example. When a woman says, I have nothing to wear, and you look in the closet, and you go, what are you, what are you talking about? What she really means is, I have nothing new to wear. Ladies, am I wrong, or is that about right? I, I have nothing new to wear. And when a man says, I have nothing to wear, he either means nothing is clean, or everything has so many holes, I can't continue to wear this. Even I'm beginning to be embarrassed by the fact that I'm wearing this. All right? So they're different. And it, it's not wrong. It's, it's different. Men and women are different. But why are men and women different? Well, because the manufacturer made them different. God, guys, God made your wife different than you. Sisters, God made your husband different from you. Matthew 19.4 says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? God created men and women to be different. We are different in many ways, including how you respond to life. I want to pause because literally I wrote this sermon like nine years ago, and I've, I've edited it, and I looked at it, and I go, no, this is still correct, but I've become, become aware that some of this stuff is still true, but not many people, increasingly some in our culture, doubt this, that men and women are different. And the way that is done is emphasizing the ways in which men and women are the same and denying the ways in which men and women are different and saying that's simply cultural. It is true that men and women have some culturally created differences, but I would tell you from the Scriptures, God intends for the culturally created differences to reflect the fact that men and women are different. So clothing, it's appropriate to have different clothing for men than for women. Hairstyles. Yes, I know sometimes men will have shaggier hair in the 70s, you know, grow your hair a little longer, and then, you know, I'm still stuck in the 80s and 90s where short hair but no mullet, you know. These things change over time, but it is still appropriate to have hairstyles and clothing that are different for men and women. Uh, but so that said, men and women are created different in many different ways. There is, some, of course, similarity and overlap, but we're different. It's not hard to figure that out. And so the ways that we're different are not wrong, but different. Our differences make us stronger together. In theological terms, in case you're a fellow nerd of the Bible like me, I'm talking about what's called complementarianism. Men and women are created different, and our strengths and weaknesses are made that way, so we help each other. 
But sometimes our differences create relationship turmoil, which can cause our marriages to spin out of control. And it often revolves around the way that we experience love and respect. Dr. Emerson Egerich says of married couples that when she feels unloved, she reacts without respect. And when he feels disrespected, he reacts without love. When this pattern is repeated, Dr. Egerich calls this the crazy cycle. This morning, we're going to talk about how to get out of the crazy cycle, and better yet, how to avoid getting into it in the first place. Maybe you're in the crazy cycle. As soon as I said that, you go, yeah, that's us right now. And you say, well, who's supposed to start to fix this? Well, Dr. Eggers would tell you the one who's the mo- who thinks they're the most mature should be the one to lead. And so, man, I'm challenging you. Man, wife will willingly allow you to take the lead in meeting her greatest need, which is to love. Love and respect. Men, we need to know how to communicate love to our wives. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husband, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner or vessel and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that in nothing, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time to be together in worship. I thank you for that sweet time of prayer that we had. I thank you for the worship leadership we experienced, and I thank you that Laney and Addie have made professions of faith and followed your example and your command and have been baptized. We thank you for this. We pray for our time together that we as husbands and wives or perhaps people who will one day be husbands and wives, we would learn what your word has to say so we'd experience marriage as you intended. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I read 1 Peter 3, 7, I think of a question for us men. Men, are you enduring a season of unanswered prayer? That might be a check engine light warning you that because of the way you have been treating your wife, you are out of alignment with Jesus. The text tells us to dwell or live with our spouse in an understanding way. It tells us that our wives are co-heirs of the grace of life, which speaks there of our equality. But then we get into the danger zone, one of the verses and the parts of the Bible that really make some people uncomfortable. For the text says that the wife is the weaker vessel. What does this mean exactly? Does it mean that she is inferior? No. Does this mean that she is intellectually weaker? No. Does this mean that she is emotionally weaker? No. And it certainly does not mean that she is spiritually weaker. It is talking, obviously, about her being physically weaker. Now, I can imagine somebody saying, well, there's this girl I saw on TikTok, and she's stronger than 80% of the men. I'm like, well, that's true. There are women who are really strong. But on average, men are stronger than women. It's the way it's been, and that's the way it continues to be. Generally speaking, men are stronger than women. This is why there is a growing outcry against men self-identifying as women and then entering women's sports because physically speaking, men do have an unfair advantage. This is true even though people want to deny it. So what are the results of this denial? 
I read an article a few years ago from a, a female mixed martial artist, and, and obviously she could whoop me, but I'm not a trained fighter. I'm just a broken down older guy, right? So she has a cage match with a man who self-identifies as a woman, and she is a skilled fighter, but she described that there was a dramatic difference in being struck and grabbed by a female versus being struck and grabbed by a male in a cage match. Even though she was a more skilled fighter than him, she lost because there is a difference. Simple things like men's bone structures are different. Our hands are thicker, thus the strikes are harder. Simple things that most of the time you would hardly notice, but there were clearly distinctions. And she lost to an inferior fighter because he had a biological advantage and had claimed that he was a woman. A rap musician from England put out a video on Twitter of himself lifting weights, and he was a strong guy. In the video, he jokingly self-identified as a woman, and then with ease broke the women's record for the exercise called deadlift. He did it to demonstrate the obvious truth that people had been in denial about, that men and women are different, and by design, men are generally stronger than women. I don't know why this is controversial or why I have to talk about it, but this is where we are. This is literally one of men's strengths. Not sure how useful in a lot of jobs that is now that everything's computerized, but that is one of the ways God has made us stronger. Women, however, have different strengths. Now our culture is attempting to pursue equality by saying that men are no different than women. Wouldn't it be wiser to simply say that God intentionally created men and women with different strengths? and then celebrate and embrace those strengths? Wouldn't it be wiser to recognize reality and respond accordingly? It is obvious that men and women are different, and we should thank God for that because God has designed your wife to be strong where you are weak and for you to be strong where she is weak. What about those words there, the weaker vessel? Does calling a woman the weaker vessel mean that she is inferior? When you get home, do an experiment, ladies. If you've got fine china, take it out of the cupboard, and then get the sippy cups out if you've got some. Invite the children to come over or the grandchildren or the neighbor kids and say, all right, kids, have at it. Start throwing the cups around. What's going to happen with the fine china? But the sippy cup is going to be just fine. It's more durable. Why? because fine china was designed for a specific purpose and sippy cups are designed with a different purpose. If you've ever shopped for fine china, you will know that the manufacturer did not believe that their china was inferior to the little plastic tumbler that you got at Walmart for 98 cents. Why? It is a different purpose. And the same is true with the husband and wife. God has made you with different strengths for different purposes. To deny this is to deny reality. Noting then the differences between men and women, we are called to live with our spouses in, in an understanding way. So how do we do that? Let me give you an acronym. Don't worry, we'll, we'll look at each one of these. But couple, closeness, openness, understanding, peacemaking, loyalty, and esteem. So, man, what we're about to talk about is going to seem a little bit different, but if we're willing to try some of it, 
It can make all the difference in the world. And the fact is, we ought to try this because we are men of honor and we want to see our wives flourish. So let's take a look at these things. Being a wise husband requires us to understand our wives better. Closeness. When you want to be face-to-face with her. Closeness. When you want to be face-to-face with her. My story about not having time with Chrissy because I was so busy, ultimately we didn't have a whole lot of face-to-face time, and it was hurting her. Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. In ancient Israel, it's, uh, it's not even in my notes, but I just thought of it. When a man would get married, for the first year he was to stay home and not go out to war because it was understood that that first year was so critical for the leaving and cleaving process. And they wanted to make sure that, that, that the husband was able to be there with the wife. But let's take a closer look at this verse. Notice the words leave and cleave. Cleaving is more than sexual. It is also a face-to-face relationship. Cleaving also involves spiritual and emotional closeness. Men, understand that your wife takes this seriously. It is more than just the culminating act of romance. It is an emotional connection. How can knowing this help us be wise husbands who know how to act right? Because of this desire to leave and cleave, the first few seconds when you get home can set the tone for the entire evening. So what do you do? Well, engage in face-to-face involvement in conversation. Don't stare at your phone. That one's preaching at myself. Sit and talk with her. Even if she is busy with dinner or the kids, she is still listening. That has been one of the hard ones for me because I have a hard time believing that since I can't think and process information while the kids are running, running amok, I think that means that she can't, but she'll tell me, I can still hear you, keep talking. But eventually with four, I get to the point where I say, honey, I can't even think to talk. We'll talk when they graduate high school and move out, okay? But even if she is making dinner or the kids are running all over the place, making noise and doing what kids do, she can still hear you. And sisters, if you... Guys are going to thank me for this one. Sisters, if you tell him something during this time, and he doesn't seem to ever remember it, understand that this is an area where he is weak. It is a sign of his weakness, not a lack of interest in talking to you. Men, when you take the first few minutes after you get home to catch up with her, it communicates and reassures to her your desire to dwell with her. Make eye contact when you talk with her. How important is this? Well, have you ever noticed... At most coffee shops, the tables are circular. At least, maybe not around here, but most of them, that's the case. That was actually an enhancement brought into the coffee shop world by women because they realize it actually enhances conversation to have a circle table. And if you're meeting at a coffee shop, not just to drink coffee, but to talk, but to talk the furniture ought to be appropriate for the setting. And so having learned of this, I did an experiment. I came home and Christy was sitting and doing some crafty thing and she was sitting Indian style in her sweat, sweatpants or her pajamas and, and doing something with crafts. I don't know what it was, but I sat down Indian style and she's kind of doing this. When she realizes I'm sitting there, she slowly turns and like radar locks on my eyes. 
the tractor beam was set, and she lit up. And so now she, she knows, she's, she's seen me do this before, that she is actually part of a science experiment when I do this. But can I tell you, she's actually quite content to be the guinea pig in that, in that setting. She enjoys it, and I suspect many, most women would enjoy it if their husband sat down, looked face-to-face to them, and talked with them. Remember, as Mr. Miyagi says, always look at her. Closeness is when you want to be face-to-face with her. Openness, when you aren't secretly mad at her. Actually, I'm going to rephrase that. When she knows that you are not secretly mad at her. Women tend to personalize it when you get angry. And I got to pause right there because I hear the feminine, if you have a feminist tendency, you might be getting mad. You'll hear me wor- use words like tend oftentimes. It means that I am aware that there are some people that don't fit into the general box. Like there are s- some women who don't per- personalize anything. They're like drill instructors or something. But generally speaking, having observed, having studied, we find that women tend to personalize things more than others, more than men do. I don't care. If, to be honest with you, for the most part, if you can't fire me or get me to lose money, I don't care too much if you're mad at me. But your wife probably personalizes it when she thinks that you're angry at her. So when you say just drop it, she is like, what do you mean just drop it? I have to resolve this now. And if you're anything like me, when you get mad, 10 minutes later, you can be over it without saying a word. No apologies necessary. Blood pressure returns to normal. Heart, heart rate is no longer above the red line. No talking about our feelings are required. In fact, we prefer not to talk about our feelings. But your wife thinks that you're still secretly mad at her because she doesn't process anger that way. Men usually just need to calm down and then we're fine. As soon as the turbulence is over, we're content to move about the cabin without ever saying a word about it, but women are not usually like that. Women tend to have a need to talk about marital problems often on an almost daily basis. It is their way of making sure that molehills don't become mountains. So when they're asking questions, they are not being an ill-willed woman trying to pick a fight with you. They are not accusing you of being acting suspicious, at least not usually. They are looking for assurance. I know, right? Crazy, right? But it is what it is. So be open with her. Answer her questions and help her have the assurance that she needs that you still love her. Openness is when she knows that you aren't secretly mad at her. Understanding when you empathize with her. Now, I had to look this word up. I was pretty sure I knew what empathize meant, but then I had to look it up to make sure. Empathize. To understand and share the feelings of another person. I didn't understand that as well as I thought I did. Because the truth is, generally speaking, men don't share their feelings. Not never, but not very often. And when we do, we don't do it as effectively as women do. It is not one of our strengths. For me, even reading the definition of empathy feels a little awkward, to be honest with you. But if we can learn, learn to do a little bit of this our, with our wives, even just a little, it'll probably go a long way. But I want to give some helpful guidance, and this does not come from me. It's not something that I learned. Actually, I did learn it from somebody smarter than me. 
So men, when our wives tell us something is wrong, what do we usually want to do? We want to fix it. But usually she just wants a listening ear. So at this point in the conversation, a good question to ask when your wife brings up a problem is, do you need a solution or a listening ear? Crazy as it might sound, women are actually pretty smart and they, don't, they know what they need to do. They just need to process their feelings. True story. Crazy, right? But true. Different approach, but it gets the same result for her as when you go shoot at something for fun. I don't mean an animal. It could be an animal, but shoot at something for fun. Or hit the weights or chop wood or hit a heavy bag. It helps her get her emotional cylinders firing in, in the right order. Dr. Emerson Egerich says that women are what uh, counselors call um, an integrated personality. We'll talk more about that. But he also says that, women, that men view communication as the exchange of information. Yeah, that's correct. Men view communication as the exchange of information. Women, however, communicate to report their emotions, release their emotions, and realize their emotions. Report, release, and realize their emotions. So when you just listen 19 out of 20 times, you have already actively solved her problem, which is to iron out her emotions. Men, truth is sometimes stranger than fiction. And this is one of those times. We need to understand that women are different than men and therefore we process life differently. It's not wrong, it's just different. Because men and women are different, we can both witness the same event and hear the same conversation and experience the same thing and interpret it completely differently because men view life through blue lenses. We will interpret life differently than our wives do. That is how God designed us so that together we are stronger. So men, when your wife shares a problem with you, what she is probably looking for is understanding. The solution she probably needs is empathy from you. Peacemaking. When you reconcile and resolve tension with her. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh or grievous word stirs up anger. When there is a rift, a conflict, a sense of tension, it is because you and your wife are not at peace. Therefore, you cannot feel connected. But when you work through problems together, you become heart to heart. So don't refuse to make peace by running from healthy conflict with your wife. Conflict is not a sign that you have a bad marriage. According to 1 Corinthians 7.28, if you are married, you can expect conflict. In fact, it is one of the arguments that Paul uses to encourage people to remain single. Conflict is inevitable when you are married. So when sparks fly, and they will, peacemaking puts it out before it burns the house down. Now, having conflict is not necessarily a sign that you have a bad marriage. But one word of uh, just encouragement. Sometimes you can recognize we are having an awful lot of conflict. And we seem to be unable to get to the bottom of it. A lot of times what couples do is they well, they said, figure we've tried everything and we're all out of ideas. Or we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Sometimes it's good to just call upon people who are trusted who will give you good, sound, biblical counsel. 
And ladies, uh, the temptation might be in men too, to call your friend who's just going to tell you that you are right and your spouse is wrong. That may feel good, but that is not likely to help solve the problem. So my encouragement is when you, if you find that you're in this, con, this conflict and this crazy cycle where he sounds unloving and she's disrespectful and it just kind of spirals out of control, it might be a good idea to contact a, a counselor or a pastor. My general experience is that when conflict is, that's serious is addressed early, there is a high likelihood that the marriage will survive and endure and be stronger. Conflict happens because you and your spouse have equal but different needs. And as you work through things together, you draw closer to each other. But men be warned. Wives come hardwired from the manufacturer to get historical on you. Why do they do this? They bring up the past so they can, so they can clear the air and feel loved again. She is what psychologists call an integrated personality. Part of that means that her makeup is designed to store information. So when tense situations occur, it is because it, it can cause an emotional reaction in her. So when there's tension, it causes an emotional reaction. And it builds up like steam in a teapot that needs to be released. So here's an illustration of how men and women are different. Men, when you say just drop it, that might work for you and only take 10 minutes to be truly dropped. But for her, it ain't ever just dropped. So when you say you are over it, she probably doubts that you really are. Because she couldn't be. Not that fast. But sisters, please understand something. When he says that he is over it, he probably truly is. And he doesn't need to talk about it to quite literally be just fine. That is until you bring it back up again. Which is why he is hesitant to bring up the past. He doesn't want to get angry again. He also fears saying something that will hurt you because he knows that you are hardwired to hold a grudge. I mean, get historical. But this does not mean that you should not bring up things that need to be addressed. What it does mean is proceed with caution, understanding that he might really just be over it. Have you ever heard the saying, it's better to just let sleeping dogs lie? I don't know if ladies say that a lot, but men do. And the reason is, is men usually don't want to talk about it and don't need to talk about it to move forward. Sometimes that's not the case. But can I tell you, I've actually literally watched teenage boys stir up a fight between two kids who had gotten over the problem. But that guy brought up the past and stirred up. You know, there's a proverb that says that one of the things God hates is when someone stirs up conflict between friends. And it's not hard to do because we annoy each other, and then we get over it. But then you bring it back up, and now we got to fight it out all over again. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't talk about the issues. It means we should be wise in how we handle these things and understand that your husband is different than you, and men understand that she is not being an ill-willed person who's trying to start a fight with you. She wants to know you still love her, and she's got to work through this stuff. Sisters, Men don't need to talk it over usually to get over things. Crazy, right? Truth is sometimes stranger than fiction, and this is one of those times. So ladies, I'm issuing another public service announcement. Men can and do simply get over things. At least we often do. 
But man, that isn't usually the case with your wife. And for the good of the family and for the good of your bride, and because you are a man of honor, you must be a peacemaker. So let her vent her frustrations and, and her anger to you without getting angry at her. Admit that you were wrong. Say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Choose not to nurse bitterness and forgive her when she is wrong. Yes, ladies, you are wrong sometimes. I know, right? Crazy. But truth is sometimes stranger than fiction. And you too can be wrong sometimes. Loyalty. When you are completely loyal to her. Malachi 2, 14 to 16. What a powerful passage. Just listen to the word of God. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. Which, by the way, that's probably why he made you stronger than her. Says the Lord God Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Jesus came along and said, don't be unfaithful in your heart. She needs to know that she is the only woman for you that you only have eyes for her. So men, when she asks, do you love me? She's not asking for information. She is looking for reassurance. Do everything you can to let your wife know that you are committed to her for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, thick and thin, rain or shine. There are some th simple things that we can do to help in this, such as speak positively of her in public. Do not speak critically of her or your kids. And don't look lustfully at other women. Esteem. When you treasure her above all else, Ephesians 5.29, and we'll close. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. To neglect, to harm, to not care for and cherish your wife is probably a sign that something's not wrong. One of the things that I, I learned when working in the psych hospital was that when a person doesn't take care of themselves physically, there's a good chance it's because there's something wrong emotionally. When you get married, your spouse and you become one flesh. So Jesus is, Jesus is held up as the example of someone who cherishes their spouse. You and I will never be able to show your, our wives the amount of emotional esteem that our wives really want. No man can. But symbolic things can do a great deal to bridge the gap. These include things like love notes and letters, remembering birthdays and anniversaries. That one's actually really easy. We've got these phones now, these little magic boxes that you can put information and it'll remind you, hey, knucklehead, 
Your bir her birthday is next week. Maybe you should do something like get her a present. Your anniversary is coming up in a month. Maybe plan something. That's good advice. Tom, remind me to do that later, honey. And every girl seems to um, dream about their wedding day. So an anniversary is going to be very important to her. Just think about that, men. Women are the ones who can give birth, so birthdays are probably a little, in my home anyway, I, I don't care if it's my birthday all that much, but with her, it's huge. And women seem to grow up wanting to plan their wedding, and they've got it all thought out. Not everyone, but a lot. And I literally married a professional wedding planner. And believe me, she did a fantastic job. And the, uh, the, the preacher was, you know how preachers rattle on and on, right? And he was doing his thing, and I just wanted to say I do, and I, he just kept talking. So the cameraman, actually, the audio picked me up saying, whispering to her, you have planned a grand wedding. And I was glad that she planned all the details because I'm not the most detail-oriented guy. But she'd been planning this for years. So men, don't forget her birthday or anniversary. You got a phone that can help you. And so put it in your phone. And another thing, the expense of the gift is second to the thought that your wife senses you put into the gift or the card or the activity. God designed your wife to be touched by things that symbolize your love and show that you treasure her. When we look at this, ultimately, one of the reasons we get very confused today in America about marriage is because we don't actually get what the purpose is. And we're not going to look at it, but Ephesians 5 goes on in 22 to verse 20, 33 to explain to us that marriage is supposed to be a reflection of the gospel. When I, we look at Jesus, he comes into the world. He lives a sinless life, dies on the cross in our place. He, he him and all of his strength, he leveraged that to provide for us, the church, his bride, what we needed to be reconciled to God the Father because we could not do it ourselves. And so when we, as a husband, use our strength to minister to our wives, to love our wives, and when our wives respectfully show appreciation for it, it becomes a picture of the gospel. And maybe as we've gone along, you said, it was like a gut check. I threw myself under the bus. So man, if you're sitting out there, just imagine, I've had to think about it all week, how I kind of missed the ball. When you realize you've gone the wrong way, I don't care if you're a single person, a married person, a, a husband or a wife, you're a widow or a widower, when you realize you have gone the wrong way, the response is always the same. Recognize that you've gone the wrong way, ask God forgiveness, and then begin to go in the right way. Here's one of the awesome things as a Christian. There's a lot of awesome things about being a Christian. Once you have given your life to Christ, repented of sin, sin, believed in Jesus, you receive a gift of the, called the Holy Spirit. Is God himself dwelling in you, empowering you. He leads you to repent, enables you to follow through, and actually begin to live life the way God intended. And so when we hear about things like this, our pride wants to well up inside of us and say, no, she was wrong. He was wrong. 
maybe there's a hint of truth to that, but is that very productive? No, but God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. So when you as a child of God recognize that you've gone in the wrong direction, the simple solution is humbly confess and repent. That might mean you, certainly means you need to ask God for forgiveness if your spouse is still with you. Ask them for forgiveness and then determine to go the right direction. That is an ongoing picture of the gospel. As Chad and a praise team come to share our song of invitation, when we think about marriage, ultimately it is pointing us to Jesus Christ. God wants us to have healthy, life-giving marriages that are good for us, our children, our community, and our country. But understand something. All of that is to point us to Jesus Christ, not just because it feels better, but because we need Jesus. This morning, if you've come to understand something, that Jesus Christ literally lived a sinless life, literally died in your place, and literally rose from the dead, the invitation is simple. Turn from sin, ask God for forgiveness, ask Jesus to come in your life. He will give you forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit who enables you to reclaim his original purpose for your life. Please stand for our song of invitation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.